Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 92. And y'all, I am so excited today because today I am proud to announce that the Bossed Up book is officially available for pre order. (laughs) Y'all, this has been such a labor of love, and I know you've heard me referencing the book and the process. And if you've watched me on Instagram, you've seen some of the behind the scenes that have gone into this whole process. And it's almost like three and a half years coming. I have to admit the process of getting a book out of your brain and into the world and navigating the business of getting a book deal is not an easy feat. So that's what today's episode is going to be all about. But I'm just so proud and so thrilled that I can finally share with you the cover art of the Bossed Up book, which you can now see in the links in today's show notes or at bossedup.org slash book. And today is a special incentive for you to pre-order my book, Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together. I'm sharing a really exciting pre-order offer. For as long as we have Bossed Up Life Tracker planners still available, if you send in a receipt showing that you've pre-ordered the Bossed Up book, you can get a Life Tracker planner at 50% off, which is a crazy deal, the best deal of the season. I figure we'll keep this offer available until we sell out of the planner as a way to say thank you for being an early adopter of the Bossed Up book, which doesn't technically come out until May 21st, but if you pre-order now while we still have them available, you can send in your receipt for 50% off the Life Tracker Planner. If you already got a Life Tracker Planner and you know how great it is and love it so much, this is a great opportunity to gift it to a bestie at the best price of the year. And if you haven't gotten your hands on the Life Tracker Planner just yet, now is the best time to do it and get in on this goodness for 2019 to set yourself up for sustainable success with an amazing community of support behind you. I want to thank each and every one of you who helped inspire this book, including the dozen or so women who are profiled in it, who are members of our Bossed Up community. And I really can't wait to share more about this process with you starting today with a behind the scenes look at how I got my book deal. You know me, I'm a big believer in lifting as I climb. So whenever I can figure out how to do something I've never thought possible before, I always want to share what I've learned with all of you because I know there are tons of budding authors in our community. I've seen conversations pop up in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook about this very topic in the last month. So I'm hoping today answers a few questions for any aspiring authors amongst us or anyone who just has this idea sort of scratching at them and has thought about producing a book or bringing a book into this world. 
So to help me break down this process, I've brought in the big guns, my editor, Colleen Laurie, to talk through this process with me today and really share her expertise on the publishing world. But first, I want to give you a quick rundown of how I personally manage this process so it provides a little bit of context to the conversation that Colleen and I had. Because I'll be honest, I did not go about this in any kind of a traditional sense. (laughs) I'm sure that surprises nobody. I'm kind of a rebel at heart. And the rules of the game when it came to the publishing world did not really jive with me. (laughs) Didn't really sit well with me. And here's why. I was basically failing at doing what you're supposed to do. I had tried for years to write a book proposal with first one agent and then another after that agent and I decided to part ways. It just wasn't working. I didn't really feel like I was getting any support from my agent. And I know that's not true for every agent by any means, but I was just finding the process of writing a book proposal, which is basically a pitch, a business pitch for why your book should be written and why a publisher should publish it. I found that process to be really hard personally because what was brewing inside me was a freaking book, not a book proposal. I had an idea. I had a clear vision of the book I wanted to write. And sitting down to write a book proposal felt like a really backwards way of doing it. So after about a year or so of struggling, trying, and basically failing to write a book proposal that I was happy with, I scratched that entire process, parted ways with my second agent now, who was very not happy with me. And I think she like insulted my book on the way out the door. She basically said something like, good luck with this terrible muddled project and good luck ever making it into a book. And that was awful and disheartening. And I felt like a real failure. And I didn't know what else to do other than to write the book. It was in my brain. It wanted to come out. It felt like an idea that if I didn't respect it by getting it onto the page would disappear at some point. So I worked my tail off to give myself time. I didn't have much money, but I could find a way to give myself time. And so a couple of years ago, I was able to carve out a two-week period in the month of August And fortunately for me, it was mainly because I had a great team of support with me, Jackie, who was running our digital strategy at the time, Emmy, who was running our partnerships and public speaking pipeline at the time. They were able to really run the shop while I sequestered myself up on Brad's family's farm in rural New York, right near the Pennsylvania border. And they were away. They were actually traveling. So I was basically the house sitter, dog sitter, and horse sitter because there were two horses. I was in charge of feeding and grooming every day. And all I did from morning till dusk was write. I got this book out of my brain and onto the page. And looking back, I really didn't know how many words were required (laughs) for a nonfiction book, which is about 65,000, as it turns out. I took a break on Sundays, but otherwise I was writing Monday through Saturday for two weeks, like morning, noon, and night. And I obviously took breaks throughout the workday, but all I did was write. And I left the farm with a rough draft of my book. And it wasn't near complete (laughs) because editing is a thing, but also because I was about 20,000 words short of what turned into my publishing requirement. But having even a rough draft manuscript gave me something to show a publisher when I was given the opportunity to sit down over drinks with the woman you're about to meet, Colleen. 
after I kind of networked my way to this connection, when I was in New York, I said, well, why don't we just meet up and discuss what it is that I want to pitch you on? And, you know, I didn't have an agent. This wasn't a hard formal pitch. This was more like, let's meet up for drinks and see if we like each other. (laughs) And over that famed meeting, Colleen volunteered to read my manuscript, which only Brad had read at the time. I was actually sending him chapter by chapter. He was like my accountability buddy. Even though he wasn't there on the farm, he was back in DC at the time. And I left him for a month as I am wont to do, which we should talk more about on the podcast soon. But I basically said, see you later. I'm spending two weeks up at your parents' place on my own writing this book. And then I actually... The second two weeks of August, I went with my little sister, Isabel, on an amazing, not through hike, but a section hike of the Long Trail in Vermont. That was my high school graduation gift to her. Anyway, I digress. I kind of left Brad for a month as our relationship seems to thrive on some healthy time apart at times. And he was graciously reading each chapter and leaving me notes one day at a time. So he was kind of my accountability buddy. He was the only other person who was reading. So when Colleen offered to read my manuscript, I was like, damn, that's more help than my two agents have ever offered to give me in the past. So I really felt validated in the way I'd gone about doing things because here I was with something of a finished product, a product, I wouldn't say it's totally finished, to show her and to paint her a clear picture of how I plan to flesh out this book by adding in real world stories from our bossed up community members who illustrate the kinds of lessons that I'm teaching in each book. And after she read the first couple chapters, she wrote to me, I am not only inspired by what you're writing, but I've already started changing the way I'm doing things in my life, in my career, (laughs) in how I interact with colleagues. You're like in my head already. And as someone who reads a lot of books and reads a hell of a lot of manuscripts, that gave me such motivation to keep going. So from there, without the help of an agent, I actually was able to work with Colleen into it's sort of this backwards way of turning my manuscript into a book proposal, which I actually found a lot easier than the other way around. But for me, it was really important that I get this book out of my head and onto the page before I could make a business case for it. So with that context and knowing that my story is a little bit rebellious, it kind of breaks the rules, I want to bring Colleen in so she can tell you more about how the industry really works and how people normally go about doing this. But I did want to kind of start the episode up front by reminding you that rules are sometimes meant to be broken. (laughs) And I think we'll do a whole other episode on the book writing process because all of us as writers, we have different methodologies that work differently for different folks. So we can talk more about the process of writing a book and how you go about doing that on another episode. But today is really about the business of getting a book deal for all of the bosses in our community who are aspiring to do that. And my fellow aspiring authors or fellow first-time authors, take note, there's a lot of gems in here that Colleen drops about how to go about approaching this from a tactical, practical kind of business strategy. All right, so a little background on Colleen before I bring her in. She is a senior editor, my senior editor, actually, at Public Affairs, a division of the Hachette Book Group. Her list includes narrative nonfiction, business, politics, and history. She published the New York Times bestselling book, The Storm Before the Storm, The Beginning of the End of the Roman Republic by Mike Duncan, 
as well as the Washington Post and USA Today bestseller, Disrupt Aging by AARP CEO Joanne Jenkins, and the forthcoming book, How Safe Are We?, by former Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano. As a resident of the West Village in Manhattan, Colleen's a marathoner and obsessive podcast consumer, two things she often does at the same time. Talk about strategic overlap, am I right? So Colleen, thanks so much for joining me on the Bossed Up podcast today. It's such a pleasure to have you here. No problem. I'm glad to be here. I love how we found each other. I loved every minute of working with you, but I also feel like our story might be a little bit unique. Yes, I think I would say that is true. I had been listening to your podcast for a little while then and really liked what you guys had to say. And so got in touch with you and we decided that we would go out for a cocktail, which turned into like a great first date that we talk about all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I feel like, you know, a lot of what I do for Bossed Up in general involves meeting up with people for partnership opportunities. I have a lot of like cold first dates with women in all kinds of industries. And I just didn't want to stop talking to you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like we were clicking and firing on all cylinders. So a cocktail turned into a meal, turned into like, oh my God, it's 11 o'clock. I have to let you go home. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best possible way to do it. I think it is a little unconventional and it's not how most of my book deals are done, but I think there's value in looking at, you know, situations from a different perspective and coming at them in a way that will attract other people. I mean, you know, I will never forget our experience because of that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a really a great way to do it. And one of the things that I often think about is, you know, whether you come at getting a book deal from this perspective, the way you did it, or the more traditional way, it's really all about connecting with your editor and making sure that you are a team. And, yeah. you know, whether that's a, a phone call with an agent on the line and other things like that, it really is important to be part of a team together. And I think we did that pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I'm so pleased at how well we we ended up there because by the time we had gotten together for drinks, I had my eye on Hachette Book Group, which Public Affairs is a division of. And I'd been sort of in and out of your radar and your colleagues' radar by having different conversations with people and just trying to connect person to person. But I had also by that point gone through and fired two (laughs) book agents because the book agent process, and we should talk a little bit about that, it really didn't sit well with me. I'm realizing now as someone who's bought real estate without agents and has now landed a book deal without an agent that I think I personally have like a discomfort with having a middle woman advocating on my behalf. I very much like being the negotiator on my on behalf of my own deals, although that comes with a lot of risk. So what's the normal path for someone who wants to become a first-time author to acquire an agent and then have that agent help her pitch a book to a publisher? What does that typically look like? So yeah, I would say, Emily, you've done a great job of advocating for yourself. But I recommend that people who want to write a book do get in touch with an, an agent. And by the way, there's the same kind of feeling has to be there in terms of the agent being a part of your team and being, ad, right. you know, advocating on your behalf, but also being willing to tell you the truth and sort of help you really craft a really good proposal. I should start out by saying that I do only nonfiction, not fiction. Right. That's a slightly different process, whereas like a full manuscript is usually needed for a fiction work. And for nonfiction, it's usually something called a proposal where you put together, you know, 30 to 50 pages that includes some sample material, but also a lot about who you are as a person, because for nonfiction, Mm. who you are and what you bring to the table as a human being is a big part of it. 
And one thing I would love to add to that is the business case for your book, right? Because the the proposal has to show that you can sell some books, right? (laughs) That you can move some merch. I feel like there's got to be a case of here's my target audience. Here's why women, or in my case, women 25 to 35, who we've always sort of focused on at Bossed Up in urban dwelling environments who are navigating career transition, here's the data that shows they want this kind of material. So really being able to come to the table saying, we've got reach, I've got credibility, but also this is the audience that I'm targeting and here's why they would want this book. To me, it feels like a huge part of the business of publishing too. It is a huge part. And that's part that you bring to it. And you know, what an agent or or an editor helps you do is find the other pieces of that that you might not know about being not in the industry. So one of those things is competitive research. So looking at the other books that are similar to yours in tone, similar to yours in subject matter, and then figuring out a way to differentiate yourself from the other people in the market. Because that's a big question that gets asked whenever I get a book proposal on submission is, has this book already been written? Is this too similar to, you know, another book in the area? I met Jessica Bennett a couple of years ago at a women's conference, actually the Elevate Network conference in New York. And I was such a fan of Feminist Fight Club at that point. And it had just come out and I went up to her and I said, you wrote my book. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, you're being ridiculous. I'm sure you have a different take. But I'm like, I love your book so much. The vibe, the energy she brings to her sort of book was so similar to what I wanted to bring to mine. And I'm, I'm glad on the tail end of this process to look back and say, They're very different books, actually. They are, you know, but they are in subject matter, but actually perfectly in tone. I think there's a great tonal similarity, which is a good thing because that means that people who hopefully read Feminist Fight Club will love to read your book as well. Okay, so then you get yourself an agent. Your agent and you hopefully hit it off as much as you, my editor and I hit it off. And then you and your agent put together a book proposal. Then what happens? Then your agent will look at all the different editors that they have a relationship with around the industry and figure out a core group that they think would really be into your book. So a lot of what I do in my job, aside from editing, is cultivating relationships with literary agents and, Mm. you know, making sure they know what I'm interested in, what my areas of publishing are, so that when they are ready to come out with a book on submission, they know exactly to come to me. Like, you should definitely send me that book because I published X book or Y book. And so they put together a list and they do a submission. And based on the level of interest they get back, it could be anything from, you know, the perfect publisher loves your book and says, let's do this deal. And they do the deal. That happens sometimes. Another thing is maybe a few publishers are interested and you have an auction. So that's one of the other ways that do it. That's fairly common too, is an auction. Which is basically a bidding war between publishers for your book. Yeah. Yes. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. It is a good deal. When (laughs) that happens, you should be very happy. Yeah. But again, I go back to the same idea of, you know, sometimes you have similar offers that come in from other publishers. And then it really comes down to how you feel about the publisher and the editor themselves. And, you know, that's why I like to spend a lot of time in my meetings with my potential authors, really talking about how we work as an imprint and how I work as an editor, because I think it's important for them to have that information as they're making a decision. And for me, I remember I had already sequestered myself up at the booze family farm for about two weeks. So that was almost a year prior to meeting you. I had written the vast majority of the book or what what basically turned into about 60% of the book. And I knew what the chapters were going to cover. I I needed to get it out of my head. The process of writing a book proposal felt like I can't do this. I need to write the book. My brain has a book in it. I can't turn it into a proposal right now. So I'm going to just eschew that entire process and get myself 
some writing time. And then I sat on it for almost a year. So by the time I met you and we were vibing on all levels and wanted to make a deal happen, I was like, I'm not shopping around. Like this book needs to get out into the world. I think sometimes as an author, you want to weigh what you want to maximize, like the people you want to work with, the financial advance that you can get for your book, the different financial sort of machinations that go into the deal properties themselves, or timeline, like getting it out. Because we had actually had a deadline. I was just reminiscing about this with Brad. (laughs) Our original deadline was this past October for a final manuscript. And we moved that deadline up to June. So this book is on its way out. We need this book out (laughs) because it has been three years that I've been sitting on. And to me, as a writer, that was my biggest priority was just timeline, getting it out into the world. Yeah. And I think a lot of writers, especially today, they have day jobs. No one's just a writer anymore, really. And so, you know, (laughs) trying to figure out, you know, that's something we talk about early on too. And it's like, what's the deadline for a manuscript? Well, I have a full-time job so I can write on nights and weekends. And so that has to be factored in to the process and as well as the financial aspect, because how much, you know, how much money you get upfront to write a book, it's a job and you should be paid for it. So. Now, what are some of the mistakes you see commonly made in this process for first-time authors who are trying to get their book out into the world or get their idea into a book deal so that they can really start writing it? It's funny, we were just talking about that. I think the number one thing I see is over-promising on deadlines. I think authors are, it's lovely. They're very excited. They want to get going. They're like, I can do this in six months. No problem. Like, I got this. And then inevitably, you know, life happens, things happen. Or, you know, if you're a first-time author, sometimes it takes you longer than you expect. You really have to get your feet and you get your bearing. You, You know a little bit about this too. The result of that is that, you know, deadlines can get pushed. And so what I always say to my authors is, just keep me posted. Let's talk regularly. So if something seems like it's slipping, I think they get worried that they should hide it and we'll figure it out. I'll get there. And so they don't tell me and then it causes bigger problems later. So I say like communication is key in terms of like that kind of thing. And then another one I think is I've been in the publishing industry now about 13 years or 14 years. You know, even when I started in publishing, there were fewer outlets to go to when it comes to publicity and things. So it was a more straightforward process. And I think these days, especially now, there's a lot more onus put on the author to advocate for his or her own book. The publisher does everything they can, but there's only so much time in a day and only so much effort that can go into it. And the author knows her audience better than anybody else. And so making sure that as an author, you know that you're going to have to hustle. You can't just send the book in and sit back. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, this is sort of a question out of left field a bit, but That's one of the biggest critiques I hear when it comes to the publishing world at large from authors who choose to go the self-publishing route. Let's talk a little bit about that because I very much enjoy having an editor, (laughs) not to mention copy editors. Holy shit. Those women who copy (laughs) edited my book. I was just like, oh my God, I thought I was like a grammatical nerd. This is next level copy editing. I'm so thrilled to have had that kind of support. And we haven't even gotten to the publicity support and the promotion support. But what is the choice that an author has to make when she's weighing the value of self-publishing versus going through a major publisher? I'm a little biased because I work for it. But, you know, I think I think that is the decision. I think one thing is if you've gone out widely with a project and haven't gotten a lot of support from a major house, one of the options is to pursue it on your own. And you can hire outside publicity firms. I know a few really good ones that are, you know, excellent at helping people who decide to self-publish to really get the word out about their book. 
But yeah, I mean, I think when you have a publisher, you have a whole team of people whose job it is to help you, you know, get the message out about your book, whether it be the editor helping you hone that message in the book itself, or the publicist or the marketing managers or, you know, all the sales team that goes into Barnes and Noble and talks to Amazon and says, listen, I got this amazing book that I want to tell you about. You should stock a zillion copies of it. You know, (laughs) you know, having that kind of team support around you, I think is a real benefit if you can do it. And I'm the ultimate DIYer and I come down on the same side. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a matter of getting the deal, which is really hard. I think Mm -hmm. it can be really challenging. There's a lot of books out there and, you know, not everyone is going to get through a mainstream publisher. So I'm always advocating for writers who can't for any reason get that first book deal to self-publish because you want to get your baby out into the world. You know what I mean? Like writing is hard enough if we can overcome the procrastination that's so inherent to being a writer, I think, speaking to your deadline (laughs) challenge and actually finish a piece, like it needs to breathe, let it out. And I have been procrastinating on my own piece of work for so long, for years and years that, you know, just to get it out in any form is such an honor, but to have worked with you is a special honor that I'm so glad is finally happening this May. The feeling is mutual. Yay. So (laughs) tell us a little bit about the editing process too. And as an editor, because from my end, I feel like I wrestle with my book as much as I can. And then I send you an email and say, Colleen, I'm having one of those days when I think I am so full of shit. No one is going to value this book. I'm writing garbage. Can you please help me parse through this? And then you hop on the phone and like talk me off a cliff, basically. (laughs) So what does the job look like on, on your end of things? Well, so it's fascinating for me on my end, because obviously, you are not my only author. Right, right. Um, And so my job is really interesting, because every book that I work on, I'm learning something new, I'm coming to a different subject. And what I do as an editor is act as your first reader, you know, I'm the very first person other than you a lot of times (laughs) that's reading your material. And so I come at it with fresh eyes. That's important. Mm. I've also been doing this a lot and honing the message is a big part of it. So I really try to break it into pieces. And so if you're talking about a particular chapter that's giving you trouble, I know we did this a couple of times where, you know, we took the chapter and we broke it into its component parts and says like, is this part of it singing? Is this part of it getting out? Or is it really right. hitting the right notes? Is it tonally correct? Is it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we talk through it and, you know, weed out the stuff that kind of gets in the way and totally. hit harder on messages that need to be hit harder on. And you know, I find that just a total blast. I'm so in awe of writers who have the ability to sit down and write these entire incredible books. And then I get to play with them. And it's really fun. (laughs) It's like a deconstruction process. It's amazing. I remember one chapter in particular that had given us trouble. I sort of overwrote it just to give us more component parts to mess around with. And then to be in love with it, but also detached enough to stand back, look at it from a bird's eye view, separate it out into its pieces and say, this whole piece can go. (laughs) (laughs) Or like this piece needs to be longer. This is nonsense. It's not sticking to the message. There's a vulnerability in that, but it's also very freeing at the end of the day when you whittle it down right into Mm -hmm. its essence and then reread it. And you're like, oh, this is so much better with all that other crap out of the way. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So for my listeners who are thinking about how they can make themselves and the message that they want to get out into the world as appealing as possible to a publisher, perhaps in working with an agent, perhaps not, how would they go about sort of hitting all the right notes if they ever had a chance to basically cold call an editor like you and say, let's go out for drinks in New York when I'm in town. (laughs) 
Um, Wow, there's a lot of pieces to that question. I think the first thing that you have to do when you're deciding what kind of book you're going to write is it needs to be something that you're passionate about. You're going to be spending, you know, conceivably years working on one subject. So you better love it. Great point. And I've actually had conversations with potential authors that I've called, I've cold called a few people in my own life and sort of pitched them an idea. And, and, you know, sometimes it's worked, but other times the guy, you know, the people will will say to me, I don't feel like I care enough about that topic to spend two years (laughs) doing it. It's a great idea, but not for me, that kind of thing. And I think that's totally fair. That is, that is really important. It'll also make you a better writer if it's something you really care about. You know, you're going to really throw all of your heart and soul into it. Once you've got that idea down, I say, you know, you reach out, do your research, reach out to some agents that send out the kind of work that you do. And one way to do that is to take books that you love that are on the subject and look at the acknowledgements. They're fun to read anyway. And as an editor, I always look for my name, obviously. Um, (laughs) But within it, you'll see, you know, they often thank their agent. So that's one way of finding out like, oh, you know, I love this author. And this is their agent. So I should definitely go to this agent and pitch my book to them. So it's a nice way of sort of honing down who you want to approach. You'd be surprised also how many authors will reply to your email. I've I've cold emailed some really badass accomplished authors who, even if they say no to my big request, will at least direct me to their agent or at least sympathize with where I'm at as like a struggling wannabe first time author. You know, I'm always happy to lift as I climb. And I think a lot of other authors in the space are happy to do the same. I found especially, you know, women, the, the community is such a big part of it. And women writers really spend a lot of time mentoring and helping yeah. and building that community is so important. Social media presence, though, don't you feel like following is important? It is important. I think that is one thing that if you aren't already doing in a real way, start now, even as you're still coming up with your idea. As you know, it takes a long time to build that presence up. And the other piece of that is, you know, frankly, it has to be authentic. You have to want to be on Twitter. You know, I published some authors whose books have done great and who are perfectly good authors, but they're just like, listen, I don't really get it. And when they try, it doesn't work well. So trying to force them, it's just not going to do any good. So, you know, but, but if you're someone who likes to engage online and you're on Twitter, on Facebook, however it is, choose your platform that you work best on and just go hard on it, you know, for a couple of years. That way, by the time you're ready to sell your book proposal and then later your book, you will have built this audience of people who are just waiting to hear what you have to say. And I also feel like as an author, the audience teaches you. As I was writing my book, I was hearing what messages, especially on Instagram, because I love to talk to the void on Instagram, but I was hearing what was coming back to me in social media, what people were looking for. I would sort of preview a little bit of what I was writing about, share a little bit of some of the chapters I was working on, and you'd get instant feedback. So I think it's a huge benefit to authors. You know, you don't want to force yourself into using social media that you hate, but if you can find a way to enjoy it. And then for me, I take breaks when I'm not enjoying it. You know, I'm like, I hate Instagram this week, so I'm just <laughs> going to stay off of it. But I'll be back when it feels fun again, I think is another good way to look at it. But I really do think having an audience and cultivating a community is part of preparing to become an author. Well, Colleen, I hope this conversation is enlightening for the women who are listening, who I'm sure have many different books inside them, because working with you has been a very enlightening process throughout. (laughs) And I'm so excited for the Bossed Up book to get into the hands of, of a lot of women this coming spring. Me too. Absolutely. Well, thanks for all your time and talents and sharing your expertise with our community. How can folks keep up with you or keep up with the great work that you're doing? 
Yeah, I am on Twitter at C Laurie and I don't tweet a ton, but feel free to, to poke around there. I put up a lot of tweets about my own books and the books I'm excited about in the industry. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely drop a link to your Twitter feed in the show notes today. Thanks again for joining me. Awesome. Thanks, Emily. And to learn more about Bossed Up, a grown woman's guide to getting your shit together, head to bossedup.org slash book and see where you can pre-order your copy of my new book now on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and other independent realtors. Again, at bossedup.org slash book. You can find the link in today's show notes too. And as a final reminder, if you order now, while we still have a few planners available, you can actually send in your receipt showing proof of pre-order to get 50% off the Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner. Get in on this now and learn more at bossedup.org slash book. Now it's time for today's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hey, bosses. My name's Jay from Baltimore, and this is my Boss Move of the Year. So at the end of last year, I was working in a toxic work environment where I had repeatedly reported, first informally, then formally, harassment from a male coworker. After building up my confidence from listening to you, Emily, on Sminty, I said enough and exercised my right to request a formal in-person meeting with my supervisor and that male colleague. I wish I could tell you that's where my story ended happily, but instead I was reminded um, that I was an at-will employee and promptly handed a settlement from HR. And it was scary, but I felt such a relief when I left the building that day because I know I am worth more than how they made me feel. So I got to work applying for jobs, even one position that was a bit of a dream job, totally pivoting my career trajectory to do something I am strongly passionate about, working with data to promote women's sports. And I got it. I negotiated a contract that allowed me some flexibility to maintain my network in case it turned out I wasn't a great fit for the sports data industry. And a year later, I've taught myself how to code in multiple programming languages. I've called out my coworkers multiple times, all of whom are male, when they've unknowingly used coded language. And I recently renegotiated my contract to fully commit myself to my current work and to get a little cushion that I intend to invest to build some wealth. And if you can handle any more good news, my boss also allowed me to take the lead on a data project to promote the 2019 Women's World Cup. Thank you for all the tips and conversations that helped me realize what I'm worth and encouraged me to fight for what I deserve. 2018 was a roller coaster in the best way, and I can't wait to keep Boston next year. Yes, boss, get it. We are cheering you on and so proud of you. And I can't thank you enough for calling in to share your boss move. You really never know who you're inspiring when you share your own come up story and tell us what's going on in your world. I really feel like courage is contagious. And that's what this community is all about. If you've got a boss move to share or a question that you'd like to inspire a future episode of Bossed Up the Podcast with, give me a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Leave Kirby and I a voicemail there and we'll get around to answering your question with our next expert guest. So for all my first time authors or my aspiring authors and all my writers out there, what did you think about today's episode? Have you ever thought about writing a book before? Tell me what the idea is that's rattling around in your head. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to hear what your biggest takeaways from today's episode are. Make sure to tag me at bossedup.org or at Emily Aries on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or all the places to tell me what you think. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.